Hey, I want to read to you uh, the verse verses that we're going to be uh, working through this morning. And uh, put your seatbelts on because there's 40 of them. So let's start. We're going to be in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had not taken him, or God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, as reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs to him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Those all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who had, been, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. 
By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went, about, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. God, as we... Hear Jeremy speak to us. We pray that you would speak through him and that we would understand what these words mean for us today. Empower him with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a passage, huh? I mean, we really preach through the book of Hebrews so that we can get to Hebrews 11, right? I mean, this book, honestly, as we've walked through it, has been so impacting to me personally, so life-transforming to me personally. Every verse of this book um, has really had an impact. And here we are, I don't know, some 16, 17 weeks later, um, at Hebrews chapter 11. This is those, one of those passages you grow up on. This is one of those chapters in the Bible that you that you read so often, and you see depicted in it these heroes of the faith. And what this chapter does for us is it, is it defines faith for it, does it not? Define faith for us? What does it actually mean? So let's pray again and ask God to help us. And I kind of sound like I'm in a garage, I'm sorry. Is it Okay, thanks man, appreciate it. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these heroes of the faith. We ask that you would bless it. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your faith private seems to be the mantra of today. Does that sound about right to you? We have, I think, in our culture... um, come into a place where we, we have, through the Renaissance, into the Enlightenment, um, into the Romantics, and, and through kind of modern um, history and into postmodernism, have developed a worldview that has become, um, as Nancy Piercy calls it, and um, many others do, um, two-tiered, a two-tiered view of truth. This idea that somehow, um, and it really honestly goes back to 
like almost a platonic kind of thinking of, of matter and spirit, this idea that, that um, there is now developed over time a worldview that Christians have adopted, unfortunately, that there is a secular and a sacred truth. That our faith is private and our work in life and government and uh, marketplace is, is public and secular. That these things remain secular and other things remain sacred. And somehow we work on these two planes. And, and I think to some degree, over time, I know to some degree, the church has, has bought into this particular worldview where you just keep that thing to yourself, man. That's something you do in your private time. That's something you do in your sacred time. But when you step out into the real world, um, whether it be art, whether it be um, movies and life, uh, whether it be workplace and effort and whether it be government and politics, all of those things cannot be influenced by the sacred. Those have just become a secular thing. And so we now sometimes live this contradiction, don't we? And as we see a biblical worldview, we recognize that the truth of God is total, that the truth of God invades every area of our life. It invades the way we, we interact with our families. It invades the way we do our work. As, as we fulfill the mandate from Genesis, from the beginning of Scripture, we do our work to the glory of God. And, and the work that we do vocationally is, is something that, that is done to the glory of God, and it's, it's in obedience to the command of God. As we enjoy art, as we enjoy music, as we enjoy life, in the way that God has designed it to be enjoyed, we see that, that the truth of God invades all of that. It's not just some secular thing, and then somehow our faith is just some, some weird private thing that, that neither the, the two should meet. It doesn't make sense, does it? And I think what we see in this chapter is depicted heroes that have demonstrated a life of faith. And I think what we want to do is we want to, from Scripture, if you go to Webster's Dictionary, there's like 17 definitions of faith. But, but God defines it here in Scripture, and so let's do that today together and see what a life of faith is, is the total truth of God's Word invades every area of our life and what we do and why we do it. Let's see what it looks like. And to do that, we've just read 40 verses, and I want to take you to Ephesians 2.8. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and take a look at that together. Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Read 9, not a result of works that's, that no one should boast. So what do we see here in Ephesians? We see this, this picture of the gospel that we've been saved by grace, and I hope you've been catching that because we've been talking about grace through the book of Hebrews. No longer is, is God's um, offering shop open where we kill animals and sacrifice animals, but it was a type, it was a picture of Jesus who came and was the ultimate sacrifice, 
purchasing for us our salvation. We don't bring anything to the table, right? We're not adding thing, anything to our salvation. We're justified solely based on the work of Christ and what he's done for us. And he has saved us by grace. And it's amazing how so many of us can intellectually um, think about grace and understand grace and hear from Scripture as grace is defined, but somehow, for some of us, for many of us, it becomes a difficult thing to live out, does it not? Like, I get grace, I think. I mean, grace is, as we've seen throughout Scripture and as we've talked about through the book of Hebrews, grace is, is so much bigger than what we've reduced it to. Can we say amen to that? Like, the emerging like new church today it's the, the preaching of grace in the church today and in a lot of the new, cool, awesome, and I love these guys, many of them, but some of the trendy new churches like has reduced grace to mean like we get to wear skinny jeans and have tattoos and drink a beer, right? That's like their, their full depiction of what grace is. But grace in Scripture is so much bigger than that, is it not? Grace is the idea that Jesus paid the price for us and he justified us and that justification produces in us life-changing sanctification as God takes us from grace to grace throughout our life, right? And we see in Hebrews that our life changes. We see in Hebrews that we have to hold on to Jesus and we have to persevere and we have to completely rely on him and has his grace through nothing of our own. It's not about us. We're, we're not attractive. God is, Right? We're not, you know, our good works are cute, they're nice, but God is the one who did the work and transformed our lives, and now because of that, we begin to change, and he does something in us, and what we see in Ephesians 2, verse 8, is that it is through what? Faith. Faith is like the activating agent of grace in our lives. Does that make sense? Faith, which is a gift of God... Let's, let's just, let's start with that. Our ability to have faith and believe and rely on grace is a gift from God so that none of us have anything to boast about. It all starts with him and ends with him, amen? He gives us the ability to rely on grace through faith. But faith is this activating agent that activates the grace of God in our lives as we, as we uh, are saved and begin to change. And so how is that defined? In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's take a look at it together. Look at verse 1. I'm going with the phone today because Maisie's on vacation. <laughs> he hates the phone. I know. He's, for, some, for some reason, in Mike's mind, it's not the Bible if it's on a phone. <clears throat> By faith, I'm sorry, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is this hope? Faith is, is, is the assurance of things hoped for. How do we define faith? It's, it's this assurance of something hoped for. And it's, as we see this word hope defined in Scripture, we've talked about this before, it's so much, it's so much different than like, I hope that like, I get some pizza today which I do, but it's, it's so much different than that. I hope to be well-fed every day, but, 
but maybe this does work in my life because hope is a confident expectation. It's an assurance. It's an assurance of something you don't see. Really, it's uh, Matt Chandler defines it in this passage as, as being a discontentment. I like that. There's a discontentment in our life, right? If you hope to get married, it means what? You're not married, I hope. If you are, that's, that's a different issue. <laughs> you got to talk to somebody later about that. If you hope to be more financially secure someday, it's because there's a discontentment with your finances today. If, in my case, I hope to lose 20 pounds, it's because I'm at least 20 pounds overweight. And I've been saying 20 pounds for 10 years. It's probably more like 30, right? But there's a discontentment. There's an idea with, in life that, that we are discontented and there is a hope. There's a confident expectation of something that's not seen, but it's a longing in our heart that desires something more, desires something beyond where we're at. Does that make sense? And God produces in us this, this confident expectation, this faith in our life for something more. Now, to define this, we actually have to jump back quickly, and if you would, just grab your Bible. It's not going to be on the screen, but I think to understand this in context, you have to go back to what Mike preached last week in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Hebrews 10, verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They knew they had a better possession. So they accepted the plundering of their property. The fact that their property was taken and plundered did not matter because with joy they gave it, understanding they had a better possession in front of them. We think of natural disasters as tornadoes and Sometimes people say, well, that's the judgment of God. I was thinking about this as I heard someone else say it. Um, maybe sometimes for us, the judgment of God is our comfort and our wealth and our security. I mean, we in the U.S., in America, we got a lot. Looking around my house, I have so much. So much that it annoys me, right? Anybody been there? Like the clutter. <laughs> you know? We have, we, have, we have sweaters for our dogs. <laughs> Come on. Like, does that bother anybody? <laughs> they have stores for it. They don't even sell pets. They just sell pet accessories. Some of you are getting very angry right now. <laughs> Pippi is a part of our family. <laughs> we have so much. We, we, we have access to police and protection and uh, warmth and heat and water and uh, food everywhere. Um, we have these things in our lives that are readily accessible to us, that bring us comfort, and that have somehow in our lives become the object of our 
desire, that they have become the, the object of our affections, and they have become the object of our pursuits. And we, many times, I think, and I'm preaching, listen, hear this, I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to any of us, we have in so many ways become cultural dogs that sleep, eat, amuse ourselves, and hope to die someday in peace. So many of us have become content just living a life chasing our tail. Have we not? And what God is calling us to is a life of assurance and confident expectation of something else, something beyond, something to put to, to, to with a life of faith go after. And here he, he talks about folks that, that were so confident and hopeful in an in inheritance yet to come that even though all their possessions were taken and plundered, it mattered not. They had great joy because of their hope in a place that they were going in a better inheritance. And the word of God comes to us today and says he's calling us to a life of faith in something beyond all of this stuff that we've been spending our lives distracted by and pursuing. Amen? God's calling us to a life of confident expectation and faith in an inheritance to come. Is there something that screams from your guts that, that there is something more. It just cries out within you something beyond to pursue other than a paycheck, a leisure activity, a golf outing, a vacation, a, a new car, a bigger house, better sneakers, this new clothing. Is there something within us that, that, that draws up within us that, that screams out of our guts for something more to live for, to go after beyond those things that have absolutely entangled and distracted us? Worlds were prepared by God. We see through His Word by faith, look at in verse 3 and 4. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable, acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteousness. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he's dead, though he died, he still speaks. You see this idea that Abel um, brought sacrifices in a way that God wanted them to be brought. And, and, and here we see that Christ has come and been the sacrifice for us and died for us and saved us and justifies us. And I know some people hear that and they say, well, I don't, I don't like that. That doesn't seem fair. I don't like that I have to come through Jesus to experience salvation and to worship God and to be in the presence of God. And, and let me just with compassion say, it doesn't matter if you like it. Well, it's not fair. Okay, what court are you bringing God to, to to question him about this? Who are we to question God on the way we worship him and on the way he saves us? 
God has saved us in the way that he has decided to save us, through Christ. And as Abel relied on on sacrificing and, and bringing worship to God in the way that he wanted it to be brought, God accepted his faith, and even though he's dead, he still speaks. And God, through Christ, has come and saved us and, and, and rescued us and paid for our sin. And through Christ, we have an ability to be forgiven and to be in the presence of God and to have our lives changed and to live a life of faith. Enoch. Only problem with the phone is it keeps shutting off and i got to do my little code. Maybe that's what Mike's getting at. Through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Enoch was 65 years old, walking around, talking to God, hanging out with him, it says in the scripture that he was a friend of God. And he just, anybody wonder what that looked like? I'm sorry, I do. Could it have looked like the dude I saw in New York last month. You know what I mean? Just walking around talking. It's cool when you're a kid. It's different when you're 65, right? But Enoch walked around and talked with God. He was a friend of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what we see in the story of Enoch is that because of our faith, because of our relationship with God, because of of our ability to draw near to God as faith through Christ now enables us to draw near to God, we can say this, as in Corinthians, O death, where is your sting? O death, where's your victory? I was on a plane to Haiti, coming back from Haiti when I was in my 20s. And... It was a huge plane. It was one of those planes where there's like six seats in the middle and like four or five seats on each side or three seats. It was just very large. And I was somewhere in the middle sitting next to another pastor friend of mine, Mike Cervello, and we were coming back from Haiti. And and it was like we were riding the bull at Daisy Dukes, right? It was like, not that anyone has done that here. Um, it, it, It was, you know, and and there came a time when the thing just, dropped. Like, it seemed like it dropped about, the plane just went, like, has anybody ever been on a plane when it does that? This is a massive plane, and it dropped to the point that, like, our cup spilled, and I remember, like, thinking, I'm going to die, right? (laughs) Like, and just thinking about Enoch, like, God, now's a good time. Like, if you want to come, just take me. I don't even care about Mike. Like, just... (laughs) (laughs) If you were to come down the aisle and be like, let's go, I'd be like, let's go. <laughs> I wouldn't even ask about him. I'm not going <laughs> to. The plane just dropped. And in those moments, you know, particularly as a father, when I think of, of death, I think to myself, uh, uh, I don't have to be afraid. Even though I am, admittedly, sometimes, that death has no sting. Death has no victory. It's like we get, to, we get to serve God, we get to work for God, we get to do what God's called us to do, and when we finish the race, as we see at the end of this chapter, there's a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. I, I think of uh, my old pastor, Paul Wagner, who, who I, 
had the pleasure and the joy of growing up in his church and coming to work for him as a 20-something knucklehead kid who didn't know anything out of, out of Bible school and, and working for him and learning from him. And I remember sitting in his memorial service and thinking of Hebrews chapter 11 because I was confident that, that Paul, like a marathon runner, had busted into that stadium for the last mile. You know, when they, they run into that stadium and it's packed with people cheering him on as he had finished a race, like a marathon runner who had, who had labored and worked and lived a life of faith in that great cloud of witnesses cheering him on as he came to the finish, as he came to his rest. That, that, that's the picture that we see in the book of Hebrews. And like Enoch, we don't have to be afraid of death because it has no sting in Christ. It has no sting because of our faith, because of what Jesus has done. Amen? And you think, you know, not like you want to die, right? Do you, do you, you know, people would say, do you want to, do you want to miss out? No, I want to walk my, my daughter down the aisle. I want to see that. I want to see the next couple of Star Wars films like the rest of us, right? Come on. Not that those two things are comparable. <clears throat> but when I see in Scripture that, that everybody's days are numbered, none of us get to change that. God decides. And when that time comes, death has no sting. Amen? We live a life of confident expectation of a greater inheritance to come. That's good news, amen? Vance Stedman said it like this, that Enoch and God were going for a walk, and it was as if God looked at him and said, hey, we're closer to my house. Let's just go here. I thought that was cool. Verse 7, we see Noah. What a story. Here's Noah, 500 miles from the closest ocean, and God asks him to build a boat a thousand times bigger than what his family needs. Think about that. I got to quote Chandler here as I was reading some of what he said about this passage because he's just funny. And he said, uh, I think we lost the impact of the story of the book of Noah or of the of Noah when we made it a kid's story, right? Like, this thing's on pajamas. We got arcs, you know, Daddy, Daddy, why are the two sheep going in the ark? You know, because God judges sinners, honey. <laughs> I mean, he's, this is the story where God kills everyone, and it's on, it's on everybody's nursery wall, right? <clears throat> what an amazing, what an amazing life. Here, God comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build a boat a thousand times the size necessary for your family, 500 miles away from the nearest ocean, because someday it's going to do something no one on planet Earth has ever seen before. It's going to rain. Okay. What an amazing hero of the faith. And I love this idea of the great cloud of witnesses that, that it, doesn't, it says in Scripture when we get to heaven, we won't just talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about these stories and about these men and marvel at, at, at the amazing faith that these guys had. And, and I love this idea that, that part of the endurance 
that Mike preached about in chapter 10 that we see in James. Part of the endurance that we need to hold on to Jesus. Part of the endurance in our life that we need to finish the race, to get to the end of the marathon, to bust into the stadium with this great cloud of witnesses. Part of that endurance comes from these stories that we see of these incredible heroes in the faith. And when I look at Noah, I recognize that in, in, in my faith and in my life and in my walk with Christ, he's going to ask me to do things that are just loony. And I need to be willing to step out on that branch of faith and watch God back his play. Watch him do what he says he's going to do. Believe God that when he asks me to do something, that's what I'm called to do and he's going to give me the ability to do it. Amen? This is the life he's calling us to, not to just chase our tail in leisure and finances and comfort, but he's calling us to live a life of faith that, that steps out into a realm where God says, hey, I want you to build a boat nowhere near the ocean, a thousand times the size that you need for your family, because I'm doing something. And God, as he judged the earth, protected Noah and his family. What an amazing story of faith. Through, through mocking, through difficulty, through laughter and others jeering at him and making fun of him and torturing and abusing his family throughout the years that it took him to build the ark. God asked him to step out and he was faithful. Are we living life this way? Are we living life like it says about Moses with the Egyptians on our back and the Red Sea in front of us, and we just have to step into the water to watch the thing split and dry ground through so we can walk through? Are we living life that way? Or are we just hanging out, chasing our tails, looking for the next time we get to chase a white ball? Or go on vacation? God's calling us to a life of faith, and he depicts these men and women in the Bible that show us what it means to step out and to live a life not just consumed with the things of this world, but looking towards what God has called us to do, stepping out in a life that has a confident expectation of a greater inheritance to come. And so with great joy, we're not concerned about all these things that entangle us and hold us down and distract us. Amen? Are people getting what Hebrews is saying here this morning? Noah, what an amazing Amazing story of faith. We, uh, I was moving home from Boston in 2006. We had just, uh, I had just finished law school. I was going to study for the bar. I had been a youth pastor and an assistant pastor for about eight years prior to that and through that time period. And God called me to go to law school. I got to be honest, I didn't completely understand why but I knew it was clear that that's where he wanted me. And after I finished that, I had this longing towards a particular vocation in law, and I had a longing towards seeing God's church established and wanted to be a part of church planting. And I just didn't understand how, how all that was going to work out. And I was sitting at Bennigan's. Come on. A little, remember Bennigan's? Sorry. You guys relate? Anybody? <laughs> It's the little Asian egg roll appetizer thing. <clears throat> I was planning a youth retreat for my youth group, and I picked up the phone, called a couple dudes that couldn't come, and so I, then I called Jordan. <laughs> Those of you who know Jordan, Stinziano. He was my third call. I always bust on him. And Jordan had started a church down in southwest Florida, Fort Myers, and I said, hey, man, can you come up and speak at my youth retreat? And Jordan 
agreed to do it. He came up, he did a phenomenal job, and me and him later on after that retreat were sitting in a restaurant talking, um, and he was sharing with me what God had done in this church plant in southwest Florida. And I remember thinking to myself, like something, that, that groaning that Ephesians talks about, that thing within me that was just stirring up, I remember just, just resonating with what he was saying. I remember just thinking, oh, I want to see that happen in my home. I want to see that happen in Syracuse. How could God do something in the church locally in Syracuse, and how could I be a part of it? And I, and I remember Jordan saying to me, you know what, so, you know, when you get home, we'll, we'll coach you, we'll send some money, we'll maybe send some people, and we'll really think about maybe doing some kind of church planning thing in Syracuse. Weeks later, Jordan came up to Syracuse, unbeknownst to me. He was here for another reason. He grew up here. We grew up together in the same area, and he was in the city of Syracuse. And he saw a woman pass the road, go through the crosswalk in front of him while he sat in his car, and God broke his heart, and he began to pray. And he said, God's, God's calling me to Syracuse. I'm not going to just send money and coach Jeremy and some team. I'm going to come myself. And there came a day in 2006, 2007, when Jordan and Maggie Stinziano moved back to Syracuse, and we sat in my living room, and Bernie Elliott and Mike Maisie and a couple other guys met in my living room, and we began to just talk about what would God do? What does God want for Syracuse, and what would it look like if he got what he wanted? 2017, Missio Church exists downtown, and they're worshiping this morning in two services, and we're sitting here in this place. And we just see the faithfulness of God. Amen? Paul and I sat at the Beville Diner morning after morning, dreaming as we went to Missio, as we're part of Missio Church, as God established that church, saying, could God do something in the northern suburbs? My kids just starting to get established at Missio, enjoying their friends, my family comfortable, things uh, established to the point where it actually feels like a church and not a church plant, and everybody comfortable, the unrights playing music and enjoying their time at Missio Church. And there came a day when God said, Missio North, which is now Renovation Church, we want you to go somewhere else. The free, well, so many of you guys were there and the Bissells, we, we began to pray about what it would look like. And there was a day when we stood on the stage at Missio Church, and the elders of Missio Church laid their hands on 30 of the best people in the church and 30 of the biggest givers, okay, in the church, in a church of probably about 100, and they sent us out. How many of you guys think that's insane? There's not a church growth book you can find that will tell you to send 30 of your best people 15 miles down the road. But we believe that God didn't just want to build a big church, but God wants to reach a geography. That God wants to see these zip codes all around Syracuse in the northern suburbs and all around Onondaga County. God wants people to have a repeated opportunity to hear the gospel, to see it, to taste it, to understand it, to hear it from the lives of people as it goes out in the people of his church. And that gospel accessibility drove us to do another church plant and to not just be comfortable downtown. Crazy. Does not make sense. Was not comfortable at all. But as we stepped out, as we ate like two eggs over medium, some home fries and rye toast, right? That was mine. I don't know what you had. We, we began to dream 
and to think about what it would look like. And God brought Tim, and God brought Mike, and God brought all of you, so many of you, and the unrights, and everybody who just said, okay, we're in, let's do it. And, 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 and we see God as we live life of faith that steps out into something that's unseen, that doesn't exist yet, but we do it with a discontentment and a hope in something beyond, a hope in an inheritance, something that's bigger than us as we step out into that. What an amazing life when you see God back his play and be good to his word and come through. And I hope to God, my prayer is that a hundred years from now, someone in that house two doors down who doesn't live there yet gets to know Jesus because of what God did through us in this place now. Or we could just be a cultural dog chasing our tail. Not giving, not serving, saving our money, hoarding our time and our talents, and buying up a whole bunch of stuff that's just a bunch of stuff that becomes of tomorrow's garage sales. God calls us to something more. May we be free through faith to live in the loony, right? Like Noah's that was loony. May we be free in our faith to live a life like Abraham. I'm going to fly through like verses 8 through 40. I'm sorry. <laughs> Abraham, who, who went out not knowing where he was going. God said, I'm going to, through you, build a city whose, whose construction and whose walls in, in the city is built from God. Through you, your inheritance, you, your, your, your children will be like the stars of the heavens. And, and, and Abraham went out having no idea where he was going. And what we see as we jump down into verse 13 is that all these died in faith without receiving the promises. I want to address that before we close. So here's Abraham. Look at verse 12. He was as good as dead. <laughs> Come on. Anybody else find that funny? Like, pe people are like, you know, it was, it's cool that Abraham had a baby when he was really old because people lived longer back then. Well, look at the passage. Verse 12 says he was as good as dead. Like, you know, when people walk out of the tent going, you know, not much longer for this guy, right? <laughs> You know God did a miracle in him. And Sarah and him, as they were in their, in their elder, older age, God gave them Isaac, the promise. As they believed, as they stepped out in faith, as he went into a place that, that, wasn't, that he didn't know where he was going. Joseph had faith, and he spoke of the Exodus. The interesting thing about this is he spoke of the Exodus 300 years before it happened. And he said, listen, we're in Egypt now in 300 years, or he didn't say in 300 years, but there's going to be an exodus. And when we leave Egypt, when God rescues his people from Egypt into the promised land, dig up my bones, please, and take them with you, because I don't want them buried in Egypt. He knew God was going to deliver his people, and he believed it. He didn't see it, he believed it. Abraham didn't see it. He believed it. 
God was going to build a city whose maker and construction and builder was of God. Abraham died in a tent. He was, he was the beginning of, of it. He believed it. He believed in something that he saw from afar, but he didn't live into it. He didn't get to see it. My grandfather and my grandmother came from Sicily. And my grandmother came over when she was 16 years old on, on a boat. And I loved when she was alive to hear her tell that story. It's just an amazing story. She didn't speak English. Till the day she died, she spelled my name differently every time she wrote me a card. <laughs> I could tell she was just sounding it out, like Jeromey, G-E-R-O-M-E-Y. Um, and, and to hear her tell, we filmed it once, right before she passed, her telling that story. They came to the, to the place in Sicily where they would get on the boat, and her little brother, her little baby brother, was, was there, and to rip them off, they said, no, baby brother's sick, he can't come, or unless you give us more money. And so her older brother had to stay for another year with the baby brother. She got on the boat alone, and she came across. She found a girl that wanted to learn Italian, so she taught her English, and she taught her Italian. They swapped, and she came here. My grandfather and her were from the same village. They met each other, and they lived in Canastota, picking onions in the mucklands. My grandfather pulled out of school in fifth grade because they needed him to work in the, in the, in the field and pick the onions in Canastota. He didn't get to go to school. He was brilliant. I talked to him. He could do math. He was that guy that could fix anything, right? He could just, like, just make you a pair of shoes. He could, he could make you uh, anything. He could fix your car. He could build you a shed, and he could you know, grow an orange tree. Like, he, he could just do anything. Like, he was amazing. Never got to go to school. And I think about him, and I think about him in the context of this, because, because I, I remember sitting and talking to him as he, he just used to tell me through broken English, like, I had one plate, I had one fork, like, worked onion fields. One time he asked his, his father if he could take the afternoon off so he could go to the prom, and his father didn't answer him. And so he went and got ready, and as he was walking towards the truck to leave, he saw his father running from the field with, like, a horse whip. <laughs> like, this is how he grew up, right? He didn't tell him he could take the afternoon off. He just thought silence was yes. Silence was no. <laughs> but he worked his tail off his whole life till he was into his 90s so that my dad got to go to college. My dad, you know, went to Vietnam, got, the, got the, a little bit of money from the government to go to school, got a master's degree, worked a full career, some as a teacher and then the rest at Carrier here in Syracuse. And I think of the opportunities that my father's work gave me, a safety net to do anything, uh, the belief that I could just take the risk and move to Boston and go to law school and and just know that I had the safety net of my parents to fall into if everything went to garbage, right? And just built on this belief. I want to close, because I have to. But I want us, as Renovation Church, together, to think about what we're doing 
I have to read before I close. And I don't want to take away from Levi next week. But you can't read Hebrews 11 without reading Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And you can't preach on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 without talking about Hebrews 11. And the reason is because Hebrews 12, 1 starts with what? Therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, because of Hebrews 11. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 ends with so many heroes. What more shall I say, for time would fail me, and time's failing me now, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. It turns there. Some were tortured. Others suffered. They were mocked. Flogged, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword, went about in skins of sheep goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, warning about in deserts and mountains and in the dens of caves in the earth. Folks, God's calling us to a life that may be one that's mocked, maybe one that's hurt, maybe one, you know, if you, I love that it mentions Rahab, the prostitute, how God used her, a woman who was taken advantage of, is in the bloodline of Jesus. How powerful is that? Tortured, destitute, war heroes, fought, lived lives of great faith. And, and so, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us, Renovation Church, 2017, lay aside the garbage, the distraction, the sin that so easily entangles us and look to our greatest hero, Jesus, who went to the cross to accomplish the greatest event, the greatest moment in the world in history as he died for us and paid the price for us. Let us look to him and run the race with endurance until we finish together, amen? And folks, we may not see it all, we may not see everything that God does, but what God is doing in this place, may it impact Cicero, New York, Syracuse, New York, for 100, 200 years to come. Let kids come to know Jesus 50 years from now because God used us as we were faithful to let our lives be spent to build his kingdom in this place. Amen? God's not just calling you to chase your tail and live as a cultural dog, collecting stuff and doing nothing so that someday you can die in peace. God's calling you to live a life of faith so that when we leave this place, what will they say of us? What will they write of us? What did we give? What did we spend? What did we do while we were here? 
We look to heroes of faith as as an example of how God is calling us to live our lives. No more of this two-tiered garbage that you just pray quietly at home and go to work and live a secular life. God is calling his truth to impact your faith in every area of your life. Work as if it is unto God for his glory. And if you have to speak out and it affects your job, who cares? We have a greater inheritance. Spend your money like it matters for the kingdom of God. Maybe you don't get the new Ford, the new Ford Explorer tomorrow, but you've done something. You've, you've put resource into something that saves lives and changes eternity. I'm sorry I'm getting so excited. I don't know how to look at this passage and not be. God is calling us to a life of faith. Faith that recognizes it might hurt. We may be afflicted in this life. We may be mocked. But it's the kind of faith that lives a life that when the Egyptians are on our back and the Red Sea's in front of us, we get to step out and watch God split the Red Sea and bring us across on dry land. Amen? That's the kind of life I want to live. If it means I'm building a boat in the middle of nowhere for no reason because God told me to, that's what it means. A life of confident expectation and assurance of something we don't see yet. We hope because we're discontented with just what we're doing right now. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples you've given us in this book. We thank you for the gift of faith from you. There's nothing we can do that we we can boast in. You built this church. You're building your church. We make ourselves available. Spend our lives to build it. Help us to look to you, to hear from you, to recognize that maybe these works you've called us to that don't earn us anything, they're all because of what you've already done. Maybe this morning, You're calling us in faith to look at our need. Maybe good works this morning is to recognize in our hearts that we need help. To go to you. To rely on you. To stop relying on ourselves and our effort. But to recognize that you are the answer. Jesus, we thank you for using us and making us a part of your plan. We recognize this morning it is for your glory. We are just a small blip in your story. Do your work in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.